Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Oh, Nelly, it is. What time is it? It's 11.38 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's the 30th of November, 2022. This is episode number, was it 646 of Bitcoin? And I shall start today with Boostograms. With the boosts, I've got, how many do I got? I got four, I think. Yeah, I got four. And I appreciate every single one. And you know what? Like, I'm just going to reiterate what I said yesterday. When I don't do shows because of Boostagrams and because of Podcasting 2.0, when I don't do a show, I get smacked upside the head because I don't get Boostagrams. I don't get like people, uh, you know, firing off Satoshis per minute to listen to the show. It, it, is a direct and immediate no-holds-barred feedback loop. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we talked, you know, we've all talked about podcasting 2.0 and Adam Curry and, you know, like the whole podcasting 2.0 thing and Fountain App, which I highly recommend as your podcasting 2.0 app because I use it, not because they're paying me. They there's, I have no sponsors to the show. So uh, when I when I recommend something, it's because I use it, I like it, and if it becomes something that I cannot use or I don't like anymore, I will tell you about it. But right now, my daily driver for podcast apps is a Fountain app, and you can get that on, I think, Android and the Apple Store, although God only knows what Apple's going to do next. They're threatening all kinds of shit, but we won't even talk about that. Um, what I do want to remind you or uh, remind myself of is that every time I don't do a show, it, it, it's immediate feedback. So I, that's, it, it's one of those things where we talked about it for so long, but it's not until you're in it and you use it and you're getting satoshis this is when you're receiving the feedback from people that listen to something that you do or read something that you write or what consume some kind of content that you create until you're in it for a while you really don't realize the ramifications of the technology you have to experience it it is very much like bitcoin We can tell you about it all day long. It's not until you not only use it once, but several times that you go, oh, oh my God, right? So keep those boostograms and sat streaming because that tells me when I've been a bad boy at Bubba with a 30,000 sat boost. Woohoo! Get well, Mrs. Nunya. We need David and he needs you. You're damn skippy about that. Uh, Bubba, she is a little bit better today. Uh, She uh, was able to go to work yesterday. Still 
kind of a head cold. Uh, today is a, even a little bit better, but you know, I, I do, I, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that we are in, as far as we're concerned, a completely alien environment. You know, I've never been to the inland Pacific or the inland Northwest is what I think it's specifically called when you're in Eastern Washington, Western Idaho. Uh, but regardless, it's a completely different landscape. It's completely different pollen populations. There's completely different everything. You know, you, you think you're just going to, you know, travel around and you're just fine. But what I've noticed over the years is that, in fact, you're not just fine because you're in an alien landscape and it takes your body and your immune system quite a while to get attuned to where you are because you have to inform your body where you are. And how do you do that? You breathe the air, you drink the water, and you eat the local food. When you do that, yes, I know people that are from, you know, say that have been to Mexico City and got Montezuma's Revenge are freaking out right now. I'll give you, the, I'll give you a break on the water. I, I, I'll, I'll do that. But breathing in the allergens and eating the local food is probably, and I don't know this for a fact, gut feeling again, probably the fastest way to acclimate yourself to where you are. Now, moving on. Shark Helion, wait, wait, Shark Helion, I think that's how you pronounce it, with the Striper Boost. Welcome back. Here are some sats for the door fund. <laughs> Letter 6173 with a striper boost says, screw privacy doors, stack sats. Hope your wife feels better. Yes, she does, Letter. Thank you very much. Mr. Man, one of my favorite people on Bitcoin Hackers and No Agenda. I'm not sure if he's, I think he's just on No Agenda, but we're talking about the Fediverse because why? I'm no longer welcome on Twitter. And I have Elon said something about letting people back sometime this week. I haven't heard a word about anybody getting their account back. If you've heard that, would you please send me a message? And, you know, even if it's only a five sap boost, I don't care. Just tell me what the hell's going on. If you're on Twitter, I can't, I, I, I have, I can get on Twitter you know, as a guest kind of, but I, I can't see any of the things that I used to see. I can't, you know, see any of the accounts that were on my Bitcoin list of which were about 2000 people that, that I really enjoyed their information. If you're like one of the people that has like an insight and getting quality, incredible information out of Twitter as to if anybody got their accounts back, please let me know. Um, but yeah, like I said, she does feel better. Let her thank you very much. Mr. Man, uh, oh, sorry. We're on Mr. Man with 5,000. Satoshi says, go fund me. Go fund me. More like Bitcoin fund me. Yeah, and I probably shouldn't have said go fund me. Um, we, you know, that's how ingrained legacy everything is in us, is that even when just in common conversation, I will just uh, accidentally default to legacy ways of thinking. And I said, GoFundMe, there are Bitcoin ways to do this. So, um, and I'm not going to worry about it that much. I'm not going to spend money putting a door on a room in a house that I don't own and am not going to own because right now I pay rent and every single time that I do, it makes me ill and nauseous because I've always, I've owned a home since I was in college. And this is the first time since before that time that I haven't either outright owned a house 100% or uh, be uh, paying a mortgage on a house. Uh, it just feels bad when I give somebody rent. I don't like it. 
I am thankful for the guy though, because I don't want to buy a house in a place that I don't know if I'm going to be at, you know, uh, in a couple of years. So with all that said, let's get in to some of the news. Before I do though, a special thank you to Bitcoin Gentry, who is at 21M at bitcoinhackers.org. Again, that's at 21M at bitcoinhackers.org, who made me a very nice, actually he made me two very nice pieces of art. Pretty sure that they were AI generated, but because of the cleanliness of what uh, he provided, I think he actually had to put in quite a bit of work uh, towards crafting the prompt to be able to get this as clean as it is, because it's a picture of a dude in a parka with headphones on in front of a microphone or rather behind a microphone. And the face is the Bitcoin or the orange Bitcoin symbol. And it's, it's great. I'm probably going to use it as album art. He did another one. That's a little bit more, uh, has a little bit more detail in it, but honestly, uh, Bitcoin Gentry, I actually like the first one first. There's something about it that I'm more drawn towards it than to the second one. And that's just for your information. Now, let's blast into the world of news. Visiting El Salvador, it's clear that Bukele's Bitcoin country is neither utopian nor totalitarian. Bitcoin Magazine, Shinobi. I recently spent a week in El Salvador to attend Adopting Bitcoin and decided it might be worthwhile To summarize my perception of things, having, you know, actually had the chance to visit the country myself, since the announcement of the Bitcoin legal tender law in 2021, the topic of El Salvador has been a deeply divisive one in this space. On one hand, you have people blindly cheering on President Nayib Bukele and treating all criticism as FUD and misinformation generated simply to attack Bitcoin and the use of it. On the other hand, you have people blindly decrying him as a dictator and violator of human rights and treating anything positive he is accomplishing for his country as irrelevant in the face of his disregard for law. Obviously, I am not a Salvadoran. I have never lived in the country, and the short amount of time I have now spent there is by no means enough to truly acquire a deep insight into what life is like in El Salvador, or to really appreciate the nature of the problems people there face. Nevertheless, seeing things for that short time in person has given me a very different perspective than the one I had purely informed by reading things over the internet. I was very skeptical of the Bitcoin law when it was first proposed. My first article for Bitcoin Magazine was actually about my worries over the ways the law could cause negative consequences and effectively implode on itself if adoption of Bitcoin took off too fast early on. I saw the promise of conversion to USD by the government of El Salvador as something that could fail catastrophically if Bitcoin became a major vehicle for remittance payments, effectively bankrupting the trust established for conversion on the dollar side. Thankfully, that didn't happen. Adoption seems to be a very slow-moving wave in the country. And according to many people I talked to when I was there, many businesses that used to accept Bitcoin have actually stopped accepting it over the last year or so. 
Chivo is still dealing with problems to the point that even today there are still issues with the ATMs during attempts to sell and horrible UX flows making payment paying at the few businesses that accept BTC as, annoy, as an annoying experience. It is by no means Bitcoin country, <clears throat> as people constantly call it, in the sense of being able to use Bitcoin everywhere. But the opportunities to use it in El Salvador do far exceed those of any other physical locality I have ever traveled to myself. The plant hasn't quite sprouted yet, but the seed is clearly in the ground. Beyond the debates over Bitcoin use and adoption, though, Bukele has done quite a lot in the last year. I feel like people in this space pontificating on the internet lose sight of this in arguing over the adoption of Bitcoin in El Salvador, but what is being done in the country goes beyond just Bitcoin. Bitcoin is part of the plan, yes, but this is a nation of more than 6 million people for whom President Bukele is responsible. His concern isn't and should not be purely to benefit Bitcoin with his actions in office. He has the citizens of El Salvador and their well-being to concern himself with first. That is his primary concern. When I was in El Salvador for adopting Bitcoin, I met someone who has been living in the country for the last 10 years who only recently got into Bitcoin because of the Bitcoin law passed by Bukele a year ago. He had almost a decade of experience living in El Salvador as it was before Bukele, and the reality of it, as he described, was much more brutal than any statistics could paint. Street merchants being murdered over not being able to afford 16 cents of protection money. Widespread racketeering and robbery, corruption all across the government. Gang members would commit a murder, get arrested, and be out on the street within a few months due to how easy it was to bribe officials. He would regularly go to sleep listening to gunshots from rival gangs fighting over territory the block over from his house. It was completely unbridled anarchy. I can't even truly imagine living in such, uh, such an environment, and I have lived my entire life in one of the most dangerous cities in the United States. All of that changed this year with President Bukele's declaration of martial law and an all-out war on the gangs of the country. Almost 60,000 gang members have been arrested during the course of the year, and the results have been pronounced. The murder rate has plummeted. People are going out at night where before most people would not consider that a risk worth taking and tourism is growing. I am no stranger to living places where you have to keep your head on a swivel and pay attention to your surroundings, but not even for an instant in my week there did I feel like I was even a slight chance of something bad happening. As an outsider, it felt perfectly safe to me, and the man I met who has lived there for a decade described the El Salvador of today as an entirely different country compared to the one he moved to 10 years ago. Have there been cases of false arrests? Yes. Is there an existential issue in sweeping aside due process to deal with the problem of violence in the country? Yes. But what would be the alternative solution anyone else would offer? It was a common occurrence for people to be murdered over sums of money so small that here in the United States, many would just tell a cashier to keep it because they don't want to carry that small of an amount of change in their pockets. Yes, due process is a core tenet of a stable society, but isn't the ability to live without worry over being murdered for pocket change more important? 
Uh-oh, getting in some really dicey territory there, Shinobi. I think it is very easy for people far removed from a situation to lecture those who aren't about how to handle them, to treat the situation as some intellectual exercise that should be approached with the goal of a perfect solution. But the real world doesn't work like that. Life is messy, and perfect solutions are almost never attainable. Removing the massive gang presence in the country is a prerequisite to actually enabling economic growth. You can't have a growing economy if gangs are going to swoop in and extort money from people every day. No one from outside of the country is rationally going to want to take their money and invest it in such an environment. However imperfect the solution being implemented is right now, it is a solution, and it is showing results. Notus Energy, N-O-T-U-S Energy from Germany, stated its intent to invest $100 million in energy infrastructure in the country, specifically citing improvements in security in recent years as a factor. If Bukele and the current government continue the path they are on, it is very likely interest in similar investments that will continue to grow. The Bitcoin law has not led to instant prosperity for El Salvador, but it is laying the foundations of that to come. Chivo still has its issues, but given time, those can be improved and private solutions can be built and tailored to meet the needs of people in El Salvador. The use of Bitcoin hasn't exploded through the entire country, but the seeds of it has been planted. Similarly, the crackdown on gangs this year has not magically turned the economy and country around, but it has planted the seeds of something. Removing the gangs from the street has created room for that economic growth to happen where it otherwise would not have had the space. Things are moving in the right direction. Again, we're getting on a slippery slope, dude. People looking in from the outside have tried to paint Bukele and his efforts as either unspeakable totalitarianism or an already complete process of sculpting a utopian dream. In my opinion, they are neither. He's a man laying the foundation to allow Salvadorans the room and freedom to create their own economic prosperity. Will it happen overnight? No. Is it guaranteed to have a positive outcome? No. But he is trying as best he can to clean up the mess left over from 30 years of corruption and violence after a brutal civil war. Bitcoiners need to step back and realize that this is a real country with real people and not some intellectual exercise to argue about on the internet. Seem the sorry, <clears throat> things seem to me to be moving in a positive direction, and I hope they continue to do so. Okay, that's the end of the article. I like Shinobi, and I have a great amount of respect for him, but I, I can't help but have some issues with this. Right? I get what he's saying. It is a solution, whereas before there was no solution. It was just. Well, we can't just go kill them and we can't just go round them up because no due process and blah, blah, blah. It's what Shinobi presents here is one of the most difficult things you can imagine. Now, step back into the 70s. Uh, Hustler magazine, porno magazine. And Larry Flint, the guy that owned or, or, well, the founder and the guy and the owner of Hustler magazine, went to Supreme Court uh, on, uh, basically it was a First Amendment, uh, First Amendment argument. Uh, they wanted to shut down, or well, I think it was Jerry Falwell wanted, to, he was a, if you don't know who Jerry Falwell was or is, I don't know if he's still alive. I don't think he is. Um, you know, like one of those 
preacher, evangelist, you know, heavy duty conservative evangelist church uh, preacher guys that you saw him on TV all the time. I think he was a regular on the 400 club. If you remember that shit, um, there was a cartoon run in Hustler magazine about Jerry Falwell that he took great offense to because it suggested that he was having sex with his mother. And so Jerry Falwell took him to court, uh, said he couldn't do that. And one of the things that came out in the argument, again, a first amendment argument, uh, and by the way, Larry Flint won both times that he went to the Supreme Court on a uh, First Amendment char, uh, thing, thingamajigger. But one of the things that came out, and I cannot remember the the justice, the name of the justice that said this, but what he said was, I cannot define to anyone what pornography is, but I know it when I see it. That's where Bukele is right now. And the actions that he's taken on, like if he took no action, he'd be just as bad and have just as bad of an El Salvador as came before him. The actions that he's taking right now squarely put him in totalitarianism where he's just no due process, just go round him up. Why? Because I don't know how to define what a drug dealer is, but I know one when I see it or a gang member or somebody who's up to no good or an extortionist or a fraud or somebody like Sam Bankman fried. I mean, you couldn't just go, you know, that's like, like thought crime, future crime. Hey, what you might do in the future. Du- Bukele's stuck. He's in the most precarious position anyone in the world as a, as a leader of a country will ever be in. Nobody has been in this situation before. They either side with the bad or they try to do what's constitutionally correct and don't do anything at all because, you know, can't, we need due process. You know, what do you do? Am I suggesting that he stop rounding up the gang members? No. I'm kind of back where Shinobi is. See how difficult this argument is? See how dangerous this thing is? It, I think the only thing that we can do is to see both sides of this at the same time and try to do our level best to keep our shit together about what the hell's going on down there. Now, let's continue. If you, I'd like to hear y'all's comments on that, though. What would you do? If you were in Bukele's position, Bitcoin aside, just taking care of the gangs and the drug shit and the extortion and, and the, the street gangs and all that kind of crap, what would you do? I think, let, let me at least leave you with this from that story. If it was me, I think what I would do is deputize the citizenry of El Salvador and arm them to the fucking teeth. Now, chances are good that would end up going very poorly, but I don't know what else to do. I need the, it seems to me that it should be the citizenry, the boots on the ground that know who's fucking up and wants it to stop. They need to be empowered to stop it and not depend on the government to stop it for them. That is the only thing that I can see that would be a physical threading of the needle between the two sides of dictatorship and totalitarianism and just letting crap go on. I'd like to hear your ideas as well. But after we do Brazil approves bill regulating use of Bitcoin as payment, uh, this is from Bitcoin Magazine written by Namcios. Brazil 
Brazilian lawmakers have approved a complete regulatory framework for the trading and use of cryptocurrency in the country. Oh, crypto voice voted on Tuesday evening in Brasilia, the country's capital. The new rules recognize Bitcoin as a digital representation of value that can be used as a means of payment and as an investment asset in the South American nation. The bill applies broadly to a sector which it calls virtual assets and now only needs the president's signature before it becomes law. Not law yet. Still needs to be signed. It does not make Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency a legal tender in the country. I'm going to repeat that one again too. This is important. It does not make Bitcoin a legal tender in the country. I've been waiting for this. I'll tell you why later. The bill tasks the executive branch with selecting government bodies to oversee the market. The expectation is that the Central Bank of Brazil will be in charge when Bitcoin is used as payment, while the country's Securities and Exchange Commission will be the watchdog when it is used as an investment asset. Both the Brazilian Central Bank and the CVM, the Exchange Commission, along with the Federal Tax Authority, helped lawmakers craft the overhaul legislation. Home to a vibrant cryptocurrency uh, economy, Brazil has at times seen more citizens trade coins such as Bitcoin than they do investing in the stock market. Now the country seeks to set the stage for that to translate into more day-to-day usage in financial transactions. But not all of the text is positive for the development of the market in the country. A big miss from Tuesday's vote was the rejection of a clause that sought to cut some state and federal taxes on purchases of Bitcoin mining machines. While the text was quite restrictive, the benefit would only apply to operations using renewable energy sources. It was apparently not enough to be approved. Other provisions include the regulation of service providers such as exchanges who will need to abide by specific rules to operate in Brazil. The bill seeks to regulate the establishment and operation of Bitcoin service providers in Brazil, defining such entities as those who provide cryptocurrency trading, transfer, custody, administration, or sale on behalf of a third party. Cryptocurrency service providers will only be able to operate in the country after explicit authorization by the federal government. One rule sought to demand that such companies explicitly separate their patrimony from capital owned by customers. For example, Bitcoin, the firm, custodies for users. The clause sought to prevent such, or sorry, do that again. The clause sought to prevent events such as the recently one seen with FTX, where user funds were commingled with the company's funds and helped the recovery of user assets in the event of bankruptcy. It was rejected on Tuesday's vote. So a lot of stuff that went into this before it got to the president has indeed been rejected, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, honestly, I don't give a shit because I want to get back up to two things. One, when I first heard this story, it came over, you know, over the Fediverse, you know, through Mastodon, sort of like a tweet that said that Brazil has legalized Bitcoin. No, it hasn't. Why? Hadn't been signed by the president yet, dude. The president may not sign it. I don't know if he's planning on signing. Maybe he signed it or didn't sign it by the time the show is over. But right now, I have no clue whether the president of Brazil has signed this bill. And if he doesn't sign it, it's not law. I, you know, and the news came from, if I remember right, 
and I, 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 I love Bitcoin magazine, but if my memory serves me correctly, when I first saw this come out yesterday, it was by Bitcoin magazine. And it said that Bitcoin, that Bitcoin is legal in Brazil. No, it is not. Not until this son of a bitch signs that thing. Two, let's see if I can remember my train of thought on this. Um, oh, not legal tender. Oh, golf clap, golf clap. Yes. Thank you. I needed another experiment. Now I talked about this right when, you know, a year ago when they were doing the whole El Salvador law, right? So right when they were doing that, what what my commentary was based around the fact that I needed at least one other Latin American country to legalize Bitcoin, but not enforce it as legal tender to see what adoption would be like in a country where you're not forced to use it but nobody's going to arrest your ass if you do use it. And that's what seems to be going on here in Brazil. So therefore, I hope the president does sign it. And I hope to see what the effects are and the differences of adoption in Brazil versus El Salvador. Although there's two variables going on at the same time. One is the style of the law. And two, actually there's three. And two, the population of the countries are completely different. And three, the cultures of the countries are completely different. Brazil it was essentially a Portuguese establishment. That's why they speak Portuguese in Brazil and Spanish everywhere else in Latin America, All right? So uh, keep your fingers crossed for that one. I'm actually really excited to see how that goes, but we know how it's gonna go in Europe. European Central Bank blasts Bitcoin again. And the community responds, Savannah Fortis from Cointelegraph. In light of the recent FTX collapse and liquidity scandal, regulators in the European Union have joined other global lawmakers in a circle jerk. Oh, I mean, in a push for more clear guidelines and regulations on crypto. The European Central Bank released a blog post titled Bitcoin's Last Stand on November the 30th, which is today which summarized the financial career of Bitcoin amid current price fluctuations. However, instead of outlining the entire picture, which would include both up and downs of the cryptocurrency's lifespan so far, it only portrayed the shortcomings. Well, what did you expect, dude? Written by Ulrich Bindsiel and Jürgen Schaff, the director general and advisor of the ECB, the piece says the digital currency is on the road to irrelevance. Oh, the road to irrelevance. Of course it is. That's where it's always been going, I guess. It's also claimed that BTC is hardly used for legal transactions and that the regulatory attention it is currently receiving from lawmakers around the world can be misunderstood as approval. Additionally, it warned banks on interacting with the digital currency as it could taint their reputation. On Twitter, the organization tweeted that any price stabilization BTC may incur now will be artificially induced. Of course, because, you know, the fucking markets don't talk. These people hate you and they want you to die. If, you, if I haven't been clear about that, I'll repeat it. These people hate you and they want you to die. They don't want you to just be poor. They don't want you to be in control of your wealth. They don't want you to be able to buy what you want to buy. No, they just flat ass want you dead. If you think they don't, I, I got bridges all over Arizona to sell you. Now, here's the tweet from the European Central Bank. The apparent stabilization of Bitcoin's value 
is likely to be an artificially induced last gasp before the crypto asset embarks on the road to irrelevance. The ECB blog looks at where Bitcoin stands amid widespread volatility in the crypto markets. Read more, and then that's where they give the blog. However, where there's crypto slander by traditional centralized finance institutions, there's also the crypto community ready with responses to debunk and defend the assets. The tweet from the ECB alone received hundreds of responses with the crypto community fact-checking the claim in the article and highlighting the background of its authors. One commenter tweeted on the background of Bindseal and pointed out a potential conflict of interest as he has penned various articles on central bank digital currencies and their use cases. Mm. Another user said, while they tried to read it with an open mind, the paper's claims of BTC not being used for legal transactions and rather illicit activity were outdated. Other responses, with the tried-and-true meme of BTC is dead while still having a rising value of the other, <clears throat> some even reached back to December 2021 to point out that the ECB's incorrect predictions of inflation decreases in 2022. In a similar vein, the decreased value of the euro was also drawn as a comparison in many responses from the community. Meanwhile, digital currency exchanges continue to spread across the European Union, with Bitpanda recently obtaining a crypto license in Germany and Gemini getting the green light in both Italy as well as Greece. And that's odd. That's the end of the article. Gemini getting has that I was going to read that, but there's no reason to. Uh, Gemini getting has gotten a green light to set up exchanges in Italy as well as Greece. Now, Gemini may very well go bankrupt. We don't know. They have exposure to FTX. It seems to be fairly large. There's exposure to, um, and all this is, is wrapped up, Barry Silbert's Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and all the other Grayscale products, Digital Currency Group, Gemini, they're all in this little bag and they all have exposure not only to each other, but to FTX and Alameda Research and probably any number of people that, that has have, contagion is a bitch, right? This thing is more contagious than COVID-19 ever was and is probably doing a fuck ton more damage. But I find it odd that they have gotten compliance agreements with Italy and Greece in the midst of the fact that we don't know if they're gonna even survive, but we'll have to see. <clears throat> Binance, however, marches on. They have acquired a regulated crypto exchange in Japan. Cointelegraph is going to tell us about it. It is written by Prashant Jha. Cryptocurrency exchange Binance plans to re-enter the Japanese market after acquiring a 100% stake in a licensed crypto service provider in the country, Cointelegraph Japan reported. In an official public announcement on November the 30th, Binance CEO Sheng Peng Chao said the crypto exchange was committed to re-entering the Japanese market under regulatory compliance. The acquisition of Secura Exchange Bitcoin, a, ja a Japanese financial services agency licensed business, would mark the re-entry of global exchange in the Japanese market after four, count them, four years. Talking about the importance of the latest acquisition, a Binance spokesperson told Cointelegraph, quote, 
We can say that the acquisition of SEBC marks Binance's first license in East Asia, and as Asia is a market with potential, we hope to expand in other regions, end quote. Binance had to shutter its operations and plans to open a headquarters in Japan in 2018 after a FSA notice for operating without a license. The Japanese government warned the crypto exchange again in 2021 on similar grounds. Binance's acquisition of a regulated entity to enter a crypto market where it has found it difficult to acquire a license independently is nothing new. Earlier, Binance managed to re-enter the Malaysian market after acquiring a stake in a regulated entity. Similarly, the exchange re-entered the Singaporean market with an 18% stake in a regulated stock exchange. The crypto exchange also managed to access United Kingdom's sterling payment network with a partnership with PaySafe after the regulators declined its access to the same. Cointelegraph reached out to Binance to inquire whether the exchange has applied for an independent license in Japan as well, but a spokesperson declined to comment. Japan is considered one of the first crypto nations to introduce some kind of regulation on trading crypto assets. While strict, the Japanese approach to cryptocurrency regulations was widely appreciated and G20 nations even consulted the nation over global crypto parameters. Recently, Japan has eased up its regulatory policy further to encourage more crypto startups and allow them to flourish and has made coin listings easier. See, that's where you get into the shit. When you can just list any kind of crap, yeah, well, I mean, you know, but I, I digress. The, here's the important part of this, is that Binance marches on. CZ, or Shengpeng Zhao, is the guy behind Binance. He's also the guy that pulled the rug out from Sam Bankman-Fried, or Freed, or however you pronounce his name. Don't care. He's the guy that initiated this entire fiasco. He knew it was, he knew that it needed to happen sooner or later. That's my gut impression. I don't know the man. I've never talked to him, so I don't really know. But my gut tells me that he is like, this can't continue. I've got the in, and the in was when he saw FTX's balance or Alameda and FTX's balance sheet, uh, the way it was leaked. Uh, I think it was Coindesk that leaked that. And CZ read that and said, here it is. This is my opportunity. And like, that he pulled the rug on SBF and collapsed this entire Ponzi scheme. For that, I have a great amount of respect for CZ. I don't respect him because he lists crap all the time on Binance. But the important thing to note here is that Binance marches on. And that's kind of dangerous because Kraken cut 30% of its workforce. That's another major exchange. Other exchanges are just going under because they're super over leveraged and they have exposure to all kinds of contagion and, and always have. CZ, on the other hand, seems like he's the only guy who knows what the hell he's doing. And that's kind of scary because he could just scoop up all these things. And we get back into centralization again. Centralization and decentralization depends on people not being stupid, not being unethical, and somehow developing a spine and a ball sack big enough to be able to hold up the ideals of, you know what? I'm going to forego getting rich tomorrow and hopefully get rich way later on because this and what I'm doing right now is way more important than that. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Now, last up for this section of the show, Bankman Fried on the hook in Texas. 
He is called to appear at a February hearing. Winterfield, go. Coin Telegraph. Felix NG is, I don't know how to pronounce NG. I, I think that's uh, Vietnamese. Nong? Nug? I don't know. Anyway. Former FTX CEO Sam Bankman Fried has been called to a February 2nd. Oh, that's Groundhog's Day. I wonder if he'll see his shadow. Whatever. Hearing by the Texan securities regulator as part of an investigation into whether he and FTX.us have violated Texas securities law. In a notice of hearing signed off by Texas State Securities Board Director of Enforcement Joe Rotunda and served to Bankman Fried on November the 29th, the regulator alleges that FTXUS offered unregistered securities to Texans through its earn, excuse me, its earn accounts. The investigation was first announced on October the 14th before the dramatic collapse and bankruptcy of FTX Global Operations. The regulator announced at the time it was investigating FTX Trading and FTX.us and its principals, including Sam Bankman-Fried, for offering unregistered securities through its yield-bearing products. On November the 18th, Rotunda used Twitter to appeal to the public to reach out to him if they were a previous client of FTX and based in Texas. In the latest notice, the SSB alleged that Sam Bankman-Fried violated a section of the Securities Act during his role as the then CEO of FTX. Quote, Respondent Sam Bankman-Fried violated Section 4003.001 of the Securities Act by offering and selling securities in Texas that were not registered or permitted for sale in Texas, said Rotunda, adding it also didn't register as a dealer or as an agent in Texas. Holy shit, man. The regulator said it hoped that the hearing will lead to a cease and desist order to prevent FTX from engaging in fraud in connection with this offer or sale of securities in Texas. I don't think you got to worry about that one there, pal. It was also praying for the judge to order Bankman Fried to return money to Texan customers that had invested in its unregistered earn accounts. The regulator also wants consideration of an administrative fine to be issued to Bankman Fried should he have gained any economic benefit from the securities law violations. This amount would not exceed $20,000 per violation, but could go to $250,000 for every illegal or fraudulent act that was perpetrated against Texans over the age of 65. Oh, you know why? Because that's a protected class. Retirees are a protected class. When you defraud a protected class, that's different than if you defraud a 19-year-old. It just is. And that's in more places than just Texas, just so you know. Rotunda said, The hearing will commence at 9 a.m. local time on Groundhog's Day 2023, and Bankman Fried can attend the hearing, oh God, using Zoom. Bankman Fried is under, what? Why the fuck are we letting this guy off? Go get him. He's clearly defrauded several people. I mean, yes, I don't like the government any much than... Send a posse. Deputize some deputies. Go get his stupid ass and bring him and put him in jail. Allowing him to do it through Zoom. Are you insane? You send a fucking plane over to the Bahamas because Texas probably can work a deal with the Bahamian government and say, no, no, no. He's got to come and sit for a hearing, and after that, we will at least return him. Okay, at least do that. 
But no, we're just going to let this guy, maybe he can, maybe he can perform his prison sentence on Zoom. Fuck, God, these people are just weird. In a recently published interview between crypto blogger Tiffany Fong and Bankman Fried, the former FTX CEO expressed remorse over his handling of FTX and the bankruptcy filing bullshit. Quote, you don't get into the situation we got in if you, like, make all the right decisions. He said in a recently released November 16th interview, you don't get into the situation we got in if you like make all the right decisions. God, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities, West Texas Intermediate, 3.17% 3.17% to the upside, back over 80 bucks at $80.68 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise up 2.81% to $85.36. Uh, natural gas taking it on the chin, 3.44% to the downside, just under $7 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline up, oh God, almost a full $4.2.42 a gallon. Metals are all up, having a good day for Peter Schiff. Gold up over a full point to $1,782.50. Silver is up, God, four and a quarter percent to $22.34. Platinum is up a full 4%. Copper is up a full 4%. And palladium is up 3.28%. Agricultural futures are, or ag is mostly up, with the biggest winner being cotton at 5%. Uh, wheat, 1.7% to the upside. Biggest loser today is rice. to the downside. And I just got a breaking. Dow rises 500 points in final hour of trading after Powell signs signals smaller rate hikes ahead. Is it really the final hour? It is the final hour of trading. Holy shit, man. Being four hours away from the East Coast is freaking me out, dude. I was used to only be an hour uh, or three hours away. I don't know. Whatever. I don't care. Dow up 1.49%. Uh, yep, there it is. 506 points to the upside. Uh, S&P up 2.24%. NASDAQ up 3.51%. Uh, and the S&P mini 1.68% to the upside. Let's see what's going on with uh, Bitcoin on Clark Moody's dashboard. Looking like I got, let's see, what's my price, man? 17,017 or 17, $17,070. We have 15,283 transactions waiting on 13 blocks to clear. We have a $328.1 billion market cap. That's 2.66% of gold's market cap. And we can now purchase 9.2 ounces of shiny metal rock with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19 million. 220,754.67 of and 5,112 of those sons of bitches are chucked up in the Lightning Network valued at $87.3 million being run over 16,008 nodes sporting 76,563 payment channels and 68.2% of all that shit's being run over Tor. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. South Korea issues arrest warrant for Duquan's former colleagues. Took you a while. Arjit Sarkar tells us more 
Coin Telegraph amid the ongoing manhunt for Terraform Labs co-founder and CEO Du Quan. South Korean authorities have spread out their investigations to target other Terra executives. Pausing right here to say, you should have done that first. You've allowed so much time to pass, they can be anywhere. And if they had any sense about themselves, they would be. Good luck. Prosecutors issued an arrest warrant for co-founder Daniel Shin and seven other engineers and investors of the firm following suspicion of gaining illegal profits before the massive collapse of the Terra ecosystem. The Seoul Southern District Prosecutor's Office in South Korea suspects that Shin processed Terra tokens, which were pre-issued without the public knowledge of investors. In doing so, Shin allegedly bagged profits worth 140 billion won or $105 million U.S. by selling the pre-issued tokens during the bull market. <laughs> Arrest warrants were sought <clears throat> for three Terraform Lab investors and four engineers responsible for Terra USD and Luna Initiatives, confirmed local media Yonhap News Agency. On November the 19th, South Korean authorities seized assets worth over $104 million from Shin under the same suspicion of making unfair profits. At that time, Shin's attorney maintained the counter-narrative stating that reports that CEO Shin Huan Shang sold Luna at a high point and realized profits or that he made profits through other illegal methods are just simply not true, end quote. Speaking against the arrest of warrant, Shin pointed out, quote, I left two years before the collapse of Terra and Luna, and I have nothing to do with the collapse, end quote. The seizure of funds aimed to minimize further losses for investors in case Shin decided to dispose of said stolen funds. While Kwan maintains that he's not on the run from South Korean authorities, 4,000 members of a retail investor group are attempting to track down the fugitive's whereabouts. On October the 6th, South Korea's Ministry of Foreign Affairs ordered Kwan to surrender his passport, which, if not done, would result in the permanent cancellation of his passport. The deadline has since passed. A local report from South Korea claimed that prosecutors obtained evidence regarding Kwan's order to manipulate the price of Luna Classic. However, a Terraform Labs spokesperson dismissed the allegations when speaking to Cointelegraph, highlighting their disappointment in seeing, quote, the Korean prosecutors continue to try to contort the Capital Markets Act to fit their agenda and push baseless claims, end quote. Unconfirmed reports suggest that Kwan moved from South Korea to Singapore before ultimately transitioning to Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. So there you go. There's still at least this story, the Du Quan and the Terraform and the, the Terraform Labs and Terra Luna, at least that story hasn't been scuttled. Uh, what am I trying to think of? What, what story's been, oh, uh, uh, Pelosi's husband. You haven't heard shit about Pelosi's husband and that whole hammer beating in the underwear at four o'clock in the morning or whenever it was. And the fact that his story and the prosecutor's story don't match up with, or not prosecutors, the defense story doesn't match up with body cam. I, it's just gone. Everything about the Pelosi's is out of the news. So be thankful that at least somebody is still reporting on the shit that happened before FTX. I, I don't trust anybody anymore, ladies and gentlemen. I just don't. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink 
says that the firm invested $24 million in FTX. <laughs> Not that $24 million is very important to something like BlackRock, but now they have exposure. Let's find out just how much exposure they have. Nelson Wang, and this is Coindesk.com. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink said Wednesday that the asset management giant invested $24 million in FTX before the crypto exchange collapsed, according to Reuters. Speaking at the New York Times Deal Book Conference, Fink also said it looked like there were misbehaviors in FTX, but wouldn't speculate on whether BlackRock and venture capital firm Sequoia, which had invested $214 million in FTX, has since marked that amount down to zero, were misled by FTX, Reuters reported. FTX owes its top 50 creditors more than $3 billion, with a B, dollars, and has an estimated 1 million creditors in total. The firm filed for bankruptcy protection earlier this month after it unraveled in a series of events that was triggered by a Coindesk article about the balance sheet of Alameda Research, a trading firm affiliated with FTX. And that's when, you know, 24 hours after that article came out is when CZ from Binance took his kill shot. Yeah. And he landed that son of a bitch right between the eyes. Nice shooting, Tex. Bitcoin custody firm Casa to add Ethereum support. Gonna pause there for effect. Why am I even doing this? Again, why am I talking about a shit coin? I'm not really talking about a shit coin. You'll see why. Frederick Munawa is writing it for Coindesk.com. Casa, a popular Bitcoin Self-custody firm is adding fucking Ethereum support to its platform in what some may consider an unlikely move. Yes, we do. An overhauled version of the Casa app will launch in January, according to the firm. Well, you can take it and shove it up your ass, Mr. Lop. Although the company's original CEO and co-founder, Jeremy Welch, had floated the idea of onboarding multiple cryptocurrencies early in the firm's history, some people consider Casa to be a purely Bitcoin company. Not anymore. This may have had to do with the popularity of the firm's CTO and co-founder, Jameson Lopp, an outspoken cypherpunk and Bitcoin advocate with nearly half a million Twitter followers. Regardless of the public perception, come January, Casa will not only support Ethereum's native cryptocurrency, Ether, but will also be easier to use thanks to user experience improvements, blah, 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 don't give a shit. Quote, Casa will soon debut a refreshed app with an enhanced look and feel that will improve members' experience. Following that, CASA will introduce Ethereum storage as well as new membership plans. I'm not even going to bore you with the rest of the details of this because the issue here is what we thought was a solid Bitcoin company doing the exact same fucking shit all the rest of them did and most of them have resulted in either being contagioned or being itself a contagion that does nothing but halts or hinders Bitcoin's actual development as freedom money. I used to like Jameson Lop, and I no longer like him. Well, I'm Bitcoin maximalist. It means I'm allergic to bullshit. That's what being a Bitcoin maximalist actually means. It means that you start sneezing your head off when bullshit comes downhill. I cannot believe that of all fucking people, Jameson Lopp is going to support Ethereum. He knows better. 
He is, it's not like he hasn't talked about how staking is freaking stupid. And yet here he is. I, I guess, I don't know. I guess what he's thinking is that that Ethereans need some some place to put their ether when and if they can finally pull it out of staking, which they're never going to be pulled out of staking. They're never going to get their ether back. This whole thing was a scam. I, of all people, Jameson Law. See, this is when, this is where I get disappointed in people. The I don't. I don't cry when, when Bitcoin crashes in price. I do get excited when it rises in price, but I don't cry. You know, I don't, I don't get all misty eyed when somebody forks Bitcoin like uh, Bitcoin Jesus did and makes some kind of crappy fork off of it called BCH. I don't care. It doesn't really hurt. You know what hurts when you get disappointed by people that you thought you could trust. I can no longer trust Jameson Law. Because I think he's making a bad business decision Business decision on two fronts. On the first front, he thinks, I guess, that there's enough people that haven't staked their Ethereum or Ether or whatever the hell you want to call this, that he's actually got a business model of income. Two, that he thinks that at one point or another, the Ethereum engineers are going to actually write the code that lets people get their staked Ether off of these staking devices. And I don't think that's ever going to happen. So he's failed on, I think he's failing on two fronts. And I don't know why he would risk his own reputation and Costa's reputation. He's been in the space longer than I have been by years. And I already know how flammable reputations in this space are. Do not fuck with your reputation. This pisses me off. It just does, but we've got other fish to fry. One of his names is Sam Bankman fried. He says FTX hacker may be a former employee. <gasps> How much more confusion in this FTX hack can we have? Let's find out. Kate Irwin, decrypt.co. Sam Bankman fried is again trying to clear the air. In an interview with Tiffany Fong, Published Tuesday, the disgraced FTX founder and former CEO explained why FTX prioritized Bahamian withdrawals and also said he's narrowed down who might be behind that shady $650 million hack the night of the Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing. Quote, I've narrowed it down to like eight people. I don't know which one it was, he said, suggesting that it was either a former FTX employee or someone who installed malware on a former employee's computer. As far as how FTX ended up in the mess it currently finds itself in, Bankman Fried, also known as SBF, told Fang, or Fong, whatever her name is, that the collapse of his exchange token FTT led to a bank run not because of any margin calls, you know, directly, but because of a massive sell-off driven by fear. Faced with a liquidity crisis and forced to admit that the exchange did not hold one-to-one -one reserves of client funds, FTX froze withdrawals for all customers on November the 9th. The next day, FTX announced that Bahamian regulators ordered it to enable withdrawals for its citizens. The Bahamian or Bahamian, whatever, SEC later denied that regulators ever made such a demand. In reality, SBF told Fong he was simply prioritizing Bahamian withdrawals because that's where I am right now. 
<laughs> SBF claimed the withdrawals weren't for insiders. Quote, it was critical to the exchange being able to have a future, SBF said of the decision. You do not want to be in a country with a lot of angry people in it. Holy shit, this just gets wild. While SBF appears to have prioritized users in his country of residence for what seems like his own safety and his bankrupt company's future, in quotes, he admitted he, it was a pretty shitty thing to do. Quote, the pathway forward for FTX involved Bahamians not being pissed at it, end quote. Oh my God. In the interview, SBF also denied the allegations that he built a backdoor into FTX's systems to siphon off $10 billion worth of funds to sister company Alameda Research. Bankman-Fried founded crypto trading firm Alameda back in 2019, but then officially stepped away from day-to-day operations in 2021. Quote, I don't even know how to code, Bankman-Fried said. I literally never opened the code base for any of FTX. End quote. But before Bankman-Fried lost access to FTX's systems, he said he was exploring FTX's systems to try to determine who moved the hundreds of millions of dollars from FTX's accounts without company permission. Quote, I don't know exactly who because they shut off access to the system, but I was halfway through exploring it, SBF said. What does this remind you of? O.J. Simpson. That's right. He was going to go find the killer once he was acquitted. You know, if the glove don't fit, you must quit. And he got acquitted. He was going to go find what's-her-face's and what's-his-face's murderer. He was going to go do it. Of course, every picture that was taken of him after he said he was going to go find the murderer was him on a golf course, so I guess that's where, where he was looking. But in either event, this... Shit that is coming out of SBS, SBF's mouth should horrify you. It's like if he had been this way, I mean, the statements that I read you are verbatim. If, if decrypt.co can be trusted to make sure that that was, you know, the transcript of the podcast or the interview was actually faithfully reproduced, then these sentences that SBF is, is saying is horrifying. It's like an eight-year-old. It's like an eight-year-old was running the, the, at least the most valuable crypto exchange in the world. And he's an eight-year-old mentally. Outstanding. Good job, shitcoiners. Excellent fucking work. Apecoin up 31% as staking nears Bored ape NFT prices rebound. Yes, again, I'm talking about a shitcoin, but that's not why I'm talking about the shitcoin. I have a point. Bear with me. Andrew Hayward tells us more. Decrypt.co. Apecoin, the Ethereum-based token created for the growing Bored Ape Yacht Club ecosystem, is outperforming most major cryptocurrencies during the last week, up now 31% over the past seven days. The token is currently priced at $4.15 per data from CoinGecko and has rebounded since hitting an all-time low price of $2.63 on November the 14th, amid the fallout from the FTX collapse. ApeCoin is up nearly 58% since that low. Over the last week, only three other coins are tokens, and I don't give a fuck. On November the 23rd, Horizon Labs announced updated launch details for ApeCoin staking. This is where we're getting into the meat of it 
which will provide ape holders as well as board ape and mutant ape NFT holders token rewards for staking their owned tokens. Horizon will launch the staking interface for users on December the 5th ahead of rewards beginning on December the 12th. That's a security, ladies and gentlemen. That's a security. Staking is a common process among crypto processes that lets token owners earn rewards by locking up and holding their assets using a specialized smart contract. Smart contracts are essentially the software that powers decentralized apps and NFT projects. The announcement raised controversy on social media, however, as Horizon revealed that several territories won't be able to use its staking website due to regulatory concerns, including the United States. The Ape Foundation later suggested in a tweet thread via the official that potential workarounds can be used in those regions. <laughs> That's conspiracy, dude. Quote, we want to remind the community that one of the benefits of decentralized finance is that anybody can interact with a smart contract, the foundation tweeted, quote, or develop clients and interfaces that allow users to interact with smart contracts, end quote. <clears throat> Investors may be accumulating APE ahead of the launch with the hopes of maximizing staking emissions, which are typically highest at the beginning, even after the rise over the past week. ApeCoin's price is still down considerably, nearly 85% since last April's peak ahead of the release of NFT land plots for the upcoming Other Side Metaverse game. As ApeCoin rises, so too are prices of Bored Ape Yacht Club NFTs. The blue chip collectibles have lost considerable value over the past several months, like many other NFT projects in the ever chillier crypto winter. The board ape floor price or price of the cheapest listed asset on the market price place has crashed from a peak of get this $429,000 or 152ETH on April the 29th, falling below $60,000 worth of ETH on two occasions in November per data from NFT price floor. That price has ticked back up over the last week, rising from about 63600 on November the 22nd to the current price of 82300 My God, the idiocy is just immense. In the process, the Bored Ape Yacht Club has reflipped the floor price of CryptoPunks. Here we go with CryptoPunks, owned by Yuga Labs, which currently sit at $79,800. But Bored Apes and Mutant Apes have seen an approximate 34% rise in USD floor value over the last week per NFT price floor. Much of the positive price momentum for both ApeCoin and Bored Ape NFTs has also come from last Wednesday's launch of an official ApeCoin community NFT marketplace. The platform was developed by startup Snag Solutions, blah, blah, blah. It just goes on into this bullshit that's going to get people in trouble. So here it is. I maintain that my statement is correct. The next thing that is going to get people wiped the fuck out is staking. You're seeing it rise right now. When, when people were wondering, well, what are these people gonna do next? This is what they're doing next. It's happening right before your eyes. Every one of these shit coiners are going to start going full blown staking. It's no longer about yield. Yield is going to be a secondary concern. Okay. They're, they're going to talk about yield and it's still going to be just as illegal as hell, at least in the United States and probably most Western countries, because it's a security at that point, but they're going to talk more about staking, 
when you hear the word staking, run away. Why? Because if you don't, if you go and stake, there's already precedent set that once you stake, you can't get it back. Who did that precedent? Ethereum. Those who have staked their ETH tokens cannot physically get their ETH tokens back into their control with their private keys. Not only are they not being allowed to, even if they were allowed to, there's no physical mechanism for them to get it back. I fully expect well over 80% of the new quote unquote staking opportunities that you will see pour through the ceiling like you're in a 400 year old barn that has never been upkept will offer staking. And not only will they'll offer staking, but they will offer staking and there will be no way for you to get your NFTs or whatever other tokens that the staking people want you to stake back. There, there will be no physical mechanism. There will be no computer code. There will be no contract that is written to get your staking back. And that's the next implosion. When will that implosion happen? How bad will it be? I'll answer the second one first. It's going to be at least as bad as this. And it's probably going to be at least twice, three times, maybe five times worse. And it's not doing Bitcoin any good. Not that Bitcoin cares, not that we really need it, but you know, we could be a lot further along in getting actual people, you know, the freedom that they require with their money and their privacy and who they want to interact with and why. But the shitheads, they're still out there. The leeches are still out there. Parasites can't be anything but a parasite. And when you understand that, finally, it took me a long time to understand that there's a reason why they say it, you know, uh, what was it, like a uh, dog can't change his stripes or some shit, like tiger can't change his stripes. Yeah. Okay. Never really got it before. Now I get it. It's, I, I've gotten it for quite a while. Leeches and parasites have no ability to gain energy and momentum from anything other than what parasitic natures are. They have to glom on to something with energy and momentum to feed their need to either get metabolism, metabolic energy, or get somewhere where, somewhere where they need to go. And they can't get there on their own and they can't make food for themselves. So they're parasitic by nature. That nature will not change. So what do we do? Okay, as a kid, you learn not to walk into stagnant water, especially water that's slightly warm. Why? Because you're going to come out with leeches. We all knew this shit. We all knew it. That's why we didn't go, like when I was a kid, there was a huge park down the street from where I lived. It, had a, it was also a drainage basin. And that basically is a great big bowl that takes all the water off the streets when a torrential rainstorm happens and kind of puts it into this big hole in the ground. And every single time one of the neighborhood kids would get into the water, they'd come out with, you guessed it, leeches. It didn't take long for us to figure out you don't go into that water. Why? Leeches. <laughs> You're going to get a leech. When you hear staking, that's the pool of leeches. 
They're never, you're, you're not going to be able to time it. This time there is no timing. Why? Because they're not going to let you get your stake tokens back. I need you to understand that. Please, for the love of God, understand that. If you listen to, if you give, give me the time to like clip this uh, parts of this particular uh, episode of Bitcoin and on Fountain App, then clip this one because staking is the next FTX. FTX was the next ICO, was the next ICO crash. These go in progression. ICOs crashing after 2017, 2018 was nothing compared to what happened with Terra Luna and FTX combined. And that's going to be nothing compared to what staking is going to do to, I don't know, the ecosystem, if that's what you want to say. Trust me on this. I'm not going to back down from this position. Staking is the next shit to blow up. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says, jokes. How does a phone get drunk? Take screenshots. All right. If you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. I recommend Fountain App. I recommended them before in the show and I recommend them now and I'm not getting any money from them because they are not a sponsor, which means I like them because I like them. I like them because they do for me what I need to get done. And that is being able to allow somebody to stream me Satoshis while I stream you these dulcet tones and to give me messages through the functionality called Boostograms. If you don't know what a Boostgram is, download the Fountain app, start playing around with it. It's got a lightning wallet, you fund it, and you're you're off to, to the races. And as far as I know, you can fund that wallet from Cash App. Uh, you can fund it from your own Bitcoin node. If you if, And if you've got your own Bitcoin node and lightning node, I don't need to explain how to do that shit because you probably already know how to do that shit. But that's the way you can support the show. I had an actual shiver come up my spine when I was sitting down to do today's show because I realized just how happy I was when I'm doing this show. And last week, it's not that I was miserable because I got to hang out with my family, but I felt, I'm like going, I feel weird. I'm not, there's, I gotta be doing the show. I don't know why. It's like, you know, it's a vow of poverty for one. But it's like, a, it's like, I don't know, God calling me to do something. And every time I think, you know, eh, maybe I should go back to once a week or something like that. I, the voice in my head's like, nope, you do it as much as you can do it. And you do it every day if you can. And so here I come to you the next day. And I'm going to see you tomorrow too when I see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.